Good afternoon. Today, I will not be speaking about the coronavirus. My desire and purpose for this sermon is to draw our focus to Jesus, our Savior. The title of this sermon is God's Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. The author of this song is John Newton, and he knew what grace was all about. Just a story about his life, he grew up in a home where his father was a sea captain and his mother raised him the best she could, teaching him the Bible and attending church every Sunday. His mother died when he was seven years old and his father then sent him to a boarding school. Because of the feeling of abandonment and abuse, John left the school and returned home. His father put his son on his ship and began taking him along on his travels. At the age of 17, John Newton's world was the open sea. He left all that his mother had taught him and for seven years he declined into rebellion. He made his spiritual life a shipwreck of faith, hope, and conscience. In his own words, his delight in habitual practice was wickedness and he neither feared God nor regarded men. He was a slave to doing wickedness and delighted in sinfulness. Through the course of a difficult life, he became a slave trader, trade shipping slaves from Africa to America. Then one day in 1748, in the midst of a violent storm on sea, he surrendered his life to God. Two years later, Newton was married. Because of health issues, he found a job on land. By 1754, he accepted the call to become a pastor. He served God and men for 28 years. He marveled that such a wretch should not only be spared and pardoned, but reserved to, be, to the honor of preaching the gospel, which he blasphemed and renounced. Can you? Can I identify with this story? John Newton said in his song that he was wretched. Wretch is not a word that we use too often today, but it means a miserable person, one sunk in the deepest distress, a person sunk in vice. Can you, can I identify with this? Grace, what is grace? What do you think about when you think about grace? You know, oftentimes there's two ditches that we can fall into when we think about grace. And I will address them later in this sermon. And hopefully we can understand what grace is all about. Grace from God is favor, goodwill, the free unmerited love and favor of God. 
favorable influence of God in, re in renewing the heart and restraining from sin. In today's age, we are living in the age of grace. It began when Jesus came to this earth and will end at Jesus' second coming. Jesus brought the fullness of grace. In the Old Testament, men had grace, but not in the fullness of grace. We often get confused with the words mercy and grace, and we think that these words are the same. But these words are not the same. They do not mean the same thing. Mercy means not getting what we deserve. In other words, hell, forever separation from God. Grace means getting what we don't deserve, heaven, forever with God. In scripture, there are some differences that we can see in the same story where mercy and grace was used. And I'm going to read this. This is an expert from a book by David Jeremiah. Mercy withholds the knife from the heart of Isaac. Grace provides a ram in the thicket. Mercy runs to forgive the prodigal son. Grace throws a party with every extravagance. Mercy bandages the wound of the man beaten by the robbers. Grace covers the cost of his full recovery. Mercy hears the cry of the thief on the cross. Grace promises paradise that very day. Mercy pays the penalty for our sin at the cross. Grace substitutes the righteousness of Christ for our wickedness. Mercy converts Paul on the road to Damascus. Grace calls him to be an apostle. Mercy saves John Newton from a life of rebellion and sin. Grace makes him a pastor and an author of a timeless hymn. Mercy closes the door to hell. Grace opens the door to heaven. Mercy withholds what we, what we have earned. Grace provides blessing what we have not earned. We definitely need grace. Ever since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, sin came into the world and every person was born of a sin nature. Psalms 51.5, it says, Behold, I was shaped in, my, in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no exceptions. All have sinned. Every single one of us has fallen short. Because of sin, there's a separation from God. You may ask, why is there a separation from God? It's because of the holiness of God. And it would not only be a separation, but an eternal separation. But because of grace, God provided a way. In this world, there are only two religions. The first of them is called the religion of divine accomplishment, and that is only done through Jesus Christ. The second is the religion of human achievement, and this can be done in so many different ways, but in man's strength. Ever since Adam and Eve's fall, man has been trying to reach to God in some way. It doesn't matter if you're a Mennonite, a Muslim, an atheist, a humanist. 
Every person is trying to reach to God in some way. Some people, though, have found God, and that is through grace. I'm going to read a portion of scripture from Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In this passage, Paul is speaking to Christians. In this chapter and also in chapter 1, Paul is talking about our position that is in grace. The first one we see in verses 1 and 3, our position in sin and Satan by nature before grace. We were dead in our trespasses. We were spiritually dead. We were given up to trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world. What does it mean by the course of this world? It is the realm of Satan following his strategies. It is the lust of our flesh, selfishness, greed, pride, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath. Even as others, who are the even as others? The lost people all around us. We were lost with no hope before we became Christians. We all have a common ground with all humanity. Again, I read from Psalms 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Next, we want to look at the source and the purpose of eternal redemption, and that is found in verses 4 to 7. After we have a description of who we are without Christ, verse 4 starts out with, But God. These two words, but God, points us to God, God's answer to people's dreadful situation, our helpless, despairing situation, even in times like these. He extends to us his mercy. But not only that, but he is rich in mercy, very rich in mercy. Why does he extend his mercy to us? We see that because of his love toward us. 
Not only his love, but his great love toward us. When did he love us? Was it when we got our act together? Was it when we started following God? Was it when our life was pure and holy? I say no. It says in verse 5, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. It's when we were separated from him because of our sins. That's when he loved us. Romans 5, 6 to 8, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has an agape love for us, love that is selfless, looks for the good of us. The word quicken in verse 5 speaks about having, having life. We were once dead, as it says in verse 1, but now we have life, having a new life. Our desire for sin isn't controlling us, but the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is the purpose of a new life in redemption? It says in verse 7, That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. God wants to give us his grace. Not only his grace, but the exceeding riches of his grace, the immeasurable and unsurpassed riches. <clears throat> and it's not only one time, but also in the ages to come. It is ongoing. Even in this time of uncertainty, his exceeding riches of his grace is showering upon us. John 1, 16, it says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. This grace for grace gives a picture of ocean waves. Out of the fullness of Jesus Christ, we constantly receive one wave of grace after another. Just as a wave swells, curls, and crashes to the shore, and then recedes as another follows, so the grace of God comes with endless blessings. In verses 8 to 10, we see the way men are saved. How are we saved? It is by grace. It is by God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ through faith. What is faith? It is a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. All through the Old Testament and in the Gospels, that was what the writers were trying to show, the readers, that Jesus is the Messiah, the only Savior for mankind. That is why we need to read the scriptures so that we can know. It is in Him that we need to put our faith and trust in. 
Will our problems go away? Not the problem itself, but we'll be, we will be able to view them differently. Our attitude in life changes. Also, we see that the gift, that the grace of God is a gift. What do you think of when you think of a gift? Number one, we think that it's a gift is a free, is free. A gift is not a gift if you have to pay for it or do something to earn it. Number two, it is usually not something that is deserved. There is no one that deserves the grace of God. God showers it on us. <clears throat> we cannot save ourselves. There is absolutely no way. God gives us grace because he loves us. It is not by keeping the law or by doing good deeds that saves us, but only by the grace of God. When we are saved, we are then his workmanship. What does it mean to be his workmanship? Titus 2, 11 to 14, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And notice what the grace does. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, worldly lust we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The grace of God teaches us that we should live soberly. In other words, having a sound mind. It teaches us that we should live righteously and godly before we, because we deny ungodliness and worldliness. Jesus is also purifying us to himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Our life is like a classroom. We don't get it right the first time. It is a learning experience. We are continually being taught. It took John Newton a couple of, year, couple of years after his conversion to realize that slave trading was wrong. Good works are the fruit of our salvation, not the cause of it. Good works is an essential part of redemption plan for each believer. Notice we are his workmanship. There are two ditches that we can fall into when we are talking about grace. And I believe you can find both ditches in churches across the globe. One ditch is we try to save ourselves because of our works. We try to impress God and with all the good things that we do. Secondly, we live life, or you live life how you want, and I will live my life the way I want. As long we are, as we are both worshiping God, we are okay. But both of these ideas are wrong. It is by grace of God through Jesus that we are saved. There's two stories in the Bible that gives us a great picture of the grace of God. The first story is found in 2 Samuel 9. 
Sometime if you have spare time, take the time to read this. I don't think I'll be reading this right now. I'll give you a little bit of background of this story. It's a story about when Saul and Jonathan had died and David was now king over Israel. David remembered his promise to Jonathan about um, what, what he would do for his family. <clears throat> David asked the servant if there's anyone left, left in the house of Saul. And there was one son of Jonathan that was left. And he came to David's house. Notice in verse 1, when Saul was still living, when, sorry, back, I'll back up. When Saul was still, still living, remember how David was running and hiding for his life because of Saul. We see in verse 1 that David asked if there's any left in the house of Saul. Well, Saul had just got done almost ruining his life, but yet David was concerned about Saul. And not only that, he wanted to show kindness to him. And if you look in history, because David was another part of the lineage, it would have been okay for David to kill all of Saul's descendants, but yet he wanted to look out for the descendants, the lineage of Saul. He asked Saul's servant if there was anyone left. And notice his answer. He said that in verse 3, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. This servant, Ziba, was quick to point out his flaws. This servant did not show grace. He right away pointed out his weaknesses. Imagine also this Jonathan's son, the fear that this man may have had when the king was calling for him. We see that he calls himself a dead dog. What did David all give to Jonathan's son? First of all, he gave him kindness, he also restored the land of Saul to him. And he also ate bread at David's table continually. He didn't eat bread in the back corner somewhere, but with David. Not as a servant or a guest, but as one of the king's sons. Another story of grace is found in Luke 15, 11 to 32. And I don't think I'll take the time to read this story. We know this story quite well. This is a story, as we know it, the story of the prodigal son. This story is told after the Pharisees and the scribes are complaining how Jesus eats with sinners and receives them. This story is often referred to as the prodigal son. But really, if you look at the story, it is the story about the father's great love for his son. The father himself showed 
His father showed himself to be a man of grace. In this story, we see that there are a couple points where the younger son embarrassed the father. We see that he wanted his inheritance now. In other words, what he was saying to his father, he couldn't wait for his father to die so he can receive his inheritance. In this culture that this was taken at, this was no way to treat the father. He could have pushed him out on his doorstep. Another way that the son embarrassed the father, in order to get an inheritance, he had to sell his estate. We see that this man was very wealthy. We see that he had cattle and the acreage to keep them. He also had servants and slaves, and also the ability to throw a great banquet at a moment's notice. He needed to sell all that he had so his son could have his inheritance. The third embarrassment that we see from the son to his father is that the family tree was changed because of bad choices. This young man, since he left home, the Jewish people had a ritual that said that this man was to be cut off from his family and people forever. This young man was planning to leave home and his people for good. We see then that the younger son took his money and left for a far country. And we see what he did with his money. He spent all that his, that his father gave him, not just wisely like the stock market or something, but on foolish things. Like it often happens when times like these like this happens, a hard time comes along and he was left with no money and he was forced to take a job. He was forced to be a slave, getting no food to eat. His job that he got was to feed unclean animals and in the Jewish culture, that was unclean pigs. Because of this, this caused the son to think about him and his father's hired servants. Let's look at verse 18 and 19. He was ready to go home. He said that he has sinned against heaven and against his father. And he said that I am no more worthy to be called thy son. And he wanted to be made as one of thy hired servants. Was this man repentant? I would say not yet. He wanted to work his way into the family. Just because of his confession in verse 18 does not mean that he was sorry. If you go back into Exodus, we remember that Pharaoh had the same words and he was sorry and asked for forgiveness. But that was only until the plague was lifted. So the young son arose and went home. And remember what I said, in the Jewish culture, he would be rejected. Let's look at the father's love. As he was a great way off, his father saw him and ran to him. 
The father was watching for his son to come home, often, if not daily. He didn't walk up to his son in a dignified manner. Remember, he had owned a big property and was probably very wealthy. But he ran. He raced. He didn't care what people thought around him. His son was coming home. As we look at this, true love is a powerful source. In verse 21, we can see the son's true repentance. He hit rock bottom. It says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. He was ready. He knew where he was at in life. He was no more worthy to be called his son. We can see the love that the father has for his son. Did the father extend his grace to him because of his repentance? Because of what he said here in verse 21? I would say no. The father showered his sons, his son with gifts that brought him back into the family. We see that he gave him the robe, the ring, and shoes. Each one of these items gave the son great power in the family. There was also a big celebration. He threw a big party for him. And his reason was, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Let's look at the older son. Because the father sold all that he had, he, divide, he divided his portions unto them, as it says in verse 12. So this older son also received some of the inheritance. He was a good son only because of what he did, so he thought. He was, he was a son who was living like a servant. The older son was a sinner who thought he was a saint. In this story, the one son was so far from obedience, yet he basked in grace. The other was little but obedient, and he never received the priceless treasure that was within his reach all along. Have you experienced the grace of God? Or are you trying only to be good enough? It will never work. Go to Jesus. Stop trying to live right without him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. All right, like Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you showered on us. I just want to pray, God, that you would just be with us in this time. 
Give us the strength that we need to go through this. I pray that we would trust in you and lean on you. I pray for protection, but we, Lord, we just want to trust in you. Guide and direct us. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.